Hi, I'm Rochelle, and you're listening to BoxBox F1 Pod. Today we're debriefing the Dutch Grand Prix, but first, it's time for our digital warm-up. Do-do-do! Lap 1, Silly Season Updates. Alright, so Oscar Piastri was officially announced to be with McLaren for 2023. It was a little bit of a weird announcement. They posted a picture of him wearing like a gray shirt and like, woohoo, he's joining the team. Um, But then he posted a video talking about it. Lando welcomed him to the team. This one seems official. (laughs) Um, And Alpine also said that they accept this ruling and that they will be moving forward and making announcements to their own lineup soon. Um, There are some suspicious timelines at play here. Uh, The FIA's ruling explains that Oscar signed a contract with McLaren on July 4th. But on July 13th, Daniel made several statements about his commitments to McLaren all the way through 2023, one of which was at the factory speaking to all the employees. So McLaren's claim that everything was above board and transparent between the team and Daniel doesn't really seem to hold. Uh, Daniel was asked about it, still had that like Eeyore look in his eyes, uh, but was very diplomatic, continued to praise the team despite clearly haven't been done dirty by them. Like, clearly things were not above board, but he's still, he's still a class act. And also, I know we say this a lot, but obviously there's no disputing that Daniel was wrong and the wrong fit for McLaren. But the issue here is not really whether he was a good fit or not, whether he should have been let go. It's more about how it was handled. Uh, Daniel for sure deserves far more respect than he's been receiving from the team. And it's just, it's just kind of unfair. In other news, um, Alpine obviously has a seat that they still need to fill. And there have been a lot, there's been a lot of speculation about who that's going to go to. Um, Esteban has made it clear that he wants Mick, uh, even though he doesn't actually have much of a say. According to him, he said that he's made it very clear to everyone and his team that he wants Mick. Uh, He said, Mick is a good friend of mine. He's shown talents in the junior categories. He's been very fast. Sometimes in F1, it's not easy to perform with a car that's on the back foot. And he's a great guy, and we could join well together if he joined a competitive car. These are just my words, though. Team knows that these are my words. Uh, He said this at the press conference on Thursday, and Max was texting the entire time he was talking, but okay. Um, The team, though, has other plans. They've made it very clear that they want Pierre Gasly so they could have like a super French team. Uh, And what was weird is that these rumors actually only began circulating last week when uh, Ferrari posted their Belgian GP recap video And there was one clip, like 10 seconds, uh, where you could hear Charles, George, and Pierre, like, hot-miked talking to each other. Um, And first, you hear Pierre say something, like, about marriage. And then you can clearly hear him say, working on the final pieces of the contract. Uh, When he was asked about it, he, he disputed that they were talking about F1 at all. He was like, George was talking about getting married, which, if that's true, what a way to break it to his girlfriend. (laughs) And also, why does Pierre need to sign a contract if George is thinking about getting married? Doesn't actually make sense. But anyway, um, the rumors that Alpine is trying to get Pierre have now been, like, confirmed, basically. Um, But the the issue is obviously that Pierre has a contract with AlphaTauri. 
also in terms of like actual ideas i'm not sure it's the best one a esteban has obviously made it clear he's mick or die and also pierre and esteban infamously and also pierre and esteban infamously don't get on i don't know if that's been resolved but like they are not on great terms and i don't know if that's like a very nice way to start a partnership where they're supposed to be teammates but uh we'll see I actually don't know why they don't get along. I just know that they don't get along. Anyway, moving on to Alphatari. Um, Helmut Marco basically confirmed that they're working on a transfer. Um, they want the indie driver Colton Herta. Uh, and they will only basically give up here if they're able to secure this indie driver. Uh, we know this because um, after the race today, Chris Medlin tweeted... Helmet Marco just told me an agreement has already been reached with all parties for Colton Herita to join if he is granted a super license by the FIA and that the decision expected is expected by Monza. So basically what this means is that uh, Red Bull has have set their sights on Colton Herita, who's an indie driver. Colton Herita does not have a super license and you need a super license in order to drive an F1. Um, you get a super license by accumulating enough points. And from what I understand, and I don't fully understand the intricacies of the super super license rules and regulations and all of that, but IndyCar points are weighted differently than uh, F2 and F3 points, which means that Colton Herita, despite having a very successful career in IndyCar, does not actually have enough points to qualify for a super license. Um, and Helmut Marco and Red Bull are looking to get, get him an exemption for that. And so this has sort of divided F1 in half, almost. Some people are arguing that this would be really great for F1 to have an American driver to sort of build a bridge between IndyCar um, and, and F1, others are arguing that the rules exist and the rules need to be followed. Um, and those people include the F1 president, Dominic Colley, Dominic Colley, and Toto and other F1 principals. Um, but the issue here, I think, is that the, the problem is with the exemption, Everyone seems to agree that it's a good idea to bring IndyCar, to make it easier for IndyCar drivers to per, to be contenders for F1. But with the weighting of the scores for the super license, it's much more difficult for IndyCar drivers to make it into F1. So the exemption that Red Bull is fighting for, for Colton Herta, really should be a, an, an adjustment to the rules. Like they should be amended to open that, that relationship. And I think it's a good idea that, that we should do that, but I do think that we need to amend the rule rather than uh, inf allow an exemption so that Colton can race for AlphaTauri because that's just setting a bad precedent. Um, so yes to Colton coming in. Yes to Pierre moving if he wants to. Yes to Yuki staying. I don't want Yuki to lose his seat. <laughs> um, but I think that the FIA needs to adjust the rule rather than make an exemption. All right, so let's quickly recap the seats that are currently available. Uh, the second seat at AlphaTauri, which is currently occupied by Yuki, is up for grabs. 
fingers crossed that Yuki gets to keep it, but I also think that this probably de is dependent on what happens with Ghastly. Then the second he then the second seat at Haas, which is currently occupied by Mick, and I'm assuming this is also dependent on what happens with Ghastly because it seems like he's the second choice after Pierre. Then there is the second seat at Alpha Romeo, which is currently occupied by Joe Guan Yu. Um, I hope he stays as well, but who knows. The second seat at Williams is also up for grabs, currently occupied by Nicholas Latifi. I'd have to assume that they're getting funding from a different sponsor because Nicholas Latifi's father brings a lot of money to that team. So they must have a good reason for not necessarily bringing him back next year. Um, and then obviously, not a seat, but Daniel is sort of a floating agent um, because he lost the seat at McLaren. It looks like the seat at Alpine is looking unlikely as well. Um, at the moment, it's kind of looking like Williams or Haas or I guess Alfa Romeo, but that also remains to be seen and is also probably dependent on what happens with Pierre. Okay, lap two, on-track happenings. First up, Fernando and Lewis. So last week... In case you forgot, Lewis and Fernando got into a little tiff on track. Lewis caused that incident. Fernando lost his shit and said that <laughs> Lewis only knows how to uh, win when he starts first. Uh, Lewis was deeply unhappy with these statements and said he would not talk to Fernando uh, because of what he said. And it was good to know how he really felt. Um, but then he did post pretty decent banter within his like collection of uh the weekend the photos from the weekend he posted a assigned hat from him and then uh it was labeled to fernando <laughs> um and the fernando i suppose responded because on thursday mercedes posted a picture of fernando stopping by uh their their paddock to pick up the hat um, and they took a picture to go together. Fernando looks thrilled that this is happening. Lewis looks extremely over it. His smile looks like he wants to be anywhere but there. <laughs> but I thoroughly enjoyed the banter. It was great. And I love how easy Fernando is. Fernando's just walking around collecting memorabilia from every single driver. Um, all right. Also, on Thursday, it was Carlos's birthday. He turned 28, and he did get a cake. It was three-tiered. Uh, first tier had a chili. Second tier was a golf course. And top tier was his Ferrari helmet. Um, get Ferrari's pastry team on the pit wall, because this was very well executed. Um, they clearly listened <laughs> to their driver, know what he likes, what he dislikes, what he wants, what he doesn't want. And the pit wall could really use that sort of approach. Uh, and they all sang happy birthday in Italian to him. And they took a picture with Mattia and Charles. And he just hugged everyone in the paddock and it was very cute. Also, Ferrari decorated Carlos's room and with like uh, banners, like soccer ball banners and just like little birthday banners. And then they hid Charles in Carlos's closet with like a confetti popper and a GoPro on his forehead. Carlos took his sweet-ass time climbing up the stairs with his little espresso in his hand, stopping to talk to every person he passed, sliding the door to his room at, like, glacier pace, um, walking in and be like, ooh, decorations. And then Charles popped out, popped the confetti thing, and, and Carlos fell over. I was like, oh! And then he was like, 
there is confetti in my espresso. Um, when meanwhile, Charles was like, I can't bend my legs because he's been squashed in a closet for like an hour. Um, but it was very cute and they hugged and it was just, I love Carlos's relationship with everyone. Speaking of, um, at the press conference, one of the questions was, about his and Lando's relationship and if it will, if they'll stay best friends forever, basically, which is a weird question in and of itself. Um, Lando gave a weird answer and then uh, Carlos was like, well, yeah, we don't have like the teammate thing anymore. We're not like rivals. So now our relationship has actually gotten better. And then he said, we are good friends. We were just talking about dinner plans tonight for my birthday. It's my birthday, by the way, since you forgot to wish me a happy birthday. He remembered, but you didn't. Aimed at the moderator for the press conferences, Tom. And so Tom goes, happy birthday. <laughs> and Carlos goes, thank you, Tom. <laughs> it was it was amusing. Um, all right, that's it for lap two. On to lap three, outfit of the day. So Lou is an and Guan Yu brought it as per usual. I could say the same stuff I always say, but we really had a superstar in our midst this weekend that I really think we need to focus on during this lap. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is George Russell. Um, and George just went from power move to power move. And the last two days he matched with his girlfriend, Carmen. And I was, I usually hate it, but I was like kind of low-key obsessed with it. It worked. So we're going to walk through these. First is Thursday. And he comes in in Daniel's and Shantae sweatshirt from his collection. Daniel reshared it. Um, and it was a great moment. Everyone was very excited about how George is, is Daniel's number one fan. And then Daniel spoke about the situation. It turns out it's not actually George who might be Daniel's number one fan. Um, Daniel said, first he said that, uh, George is one of the good young ones. Cute. And then he said, he won't mind me saying this. Um, he texted me one Friday night and it was a picture of his girlfriend on the couch looking up Ricardo, looking up the Ricardo 3 shop, which is Daniel's merch shop. And he texted like, mate, what's going on? And I was like, tell me what she likes and I'll send her a few things. So we sent a few and I guess one of them actually fits George. <laughs> so he decided to wear it today. So it's good. He's a good lad. A, love that Carmen is a Daniel fan. Also, that kind of goes without saying because Daniel's merch is the only good looking merch, basically. Um, so makes sense. Also love that George sent like a WTF text to him. And I also love that Daniel just sent a bunch of merch to George's girlfriend. And I love that George fits into his girlfriend's clothes. Um, I mean, it is a sweatshirt, but F1 drivers are rather slim. Um, anyway, um, Friday, George... George really channeled, like, the early days of One Direction. Like, he straight up looks like he's out of that band. And that Simon Cowell found him, shoved him in a group with a bunch of people that didn't know each other, and made them look like they just walked out of a prep school. But, like, a fake prep school that's, like, on Disney Channel. Um, he wore red pants, a blue denim shirt, and, like, a white cable knit sweater, but one of those, like, v-neck ones. 
that looks like a uniform, you know, it has like the red and blue stripes and like the little logo on the side. And it's like a v-neck. Um, and it's just, you know what it is? It's like that, that meme online of George Russell is the type of guy. If that meme was made into an outfit, this would be that outfit. <laughs> it's really, it's really something. Um, on Saturday, though, George wore his, like, um, signature white pants and a brown turtleneck from Tommy Hilfiger, which seems like a stretch for Zandvoort, which is a resort town in September. But he did it. His white pants looked summery. His, his very, very thick Tommy Hilfiger brown sweater looked very cozy. And he was with Carmen, who was wearing flared jeans, a red belt, a white button-down, and then over the button-down was, like, this blue sweater tucked in with uh, with polo written on it. So it was a Ralph Lauren sweater. Uh, polo was written in purple over it, and it was, like, tucked into her jeans. Um, and they just looked so cute and preppy together that, like, Tommy Hilfiger, Ralph Lauren, I know different brands, but they sort of go together. So I loved this, like, kind of 70s retro preppy look that they were going for. And then on Sunday, George was wearing, like, the same pants as, like, the white pants, but a little beiger and a denim shirt, just, like, untucked. And then Carmen was wearing brown pants, a brown belt, and then she layered, like, a brown collared shirt, um, which was tucked in with a denim shirt on top so that, like, you could see the double la- the double collar layer. And they were just, like, a preppy dream. I'm usually not a very preppy person, but I actually loved it. I also loved how they matched without matching. All around, a very solid fashion weekend from George Russell. And a very Georgie weekend. Like, you know, like, none of these were out of place. It all fit into George's aesthetic. And, again, love that he matches Carmen. And that he fits into her sweatshirts. Um, all right. Well, that's a wrap on the digital warm-up. Doo-doo-doo. On to the race rhyme. Welcome to Zandvoort's Sandy Dunes, where the hills are alive with Dutch tunes. But instead of Timothy Chalamet fighting worms in the sand, it's a Merck v. Red Bull v. Ferrari battle we're watching from the grandstands. That's right, Mercedes is back in the game. Surely that means today's race result won't be more of the same. On Sunday, when the lights go out and away they go, Max takes the lead. But from then on, it's a non-stop show. Sure, Ferrari's there somewhere at the front, but really the focus is on Merck and Red Bull taking turns leading the hunt. Max's drive to victory wasn't as smooth as some might have predicted, so when Yuki ran into some trouble, people started to wonder whether it was scripted. Basically, Yuki pulls over to the side of the track and is like, yo, my tires are on all whack, but Alphatari goes, nah Yuki, you're wrong man. So Yuki keeps on driving even though he's clearly not into this plan. A couple laps later, Yuki pits, the picker switches tires and then digs around in his cockpit. Yuki's sent off, but the moment he exits the pit lane, his team's like, abort, abort, and Yuki has no choice but to pull over ASAP and stop his race short. And since Max pits and changes tires during this VSC, everyone's like, uh, Christian Horner clearly meddled, see? 
But the only safety car that Red Bull actually benefited from came much later when Valtteri Bottas's engine went numb. During this safety car, everyone pits once more, including Max, who comes out P3 determined to score. With Lewis in P1 and George in P2, everyone assumed George would fend off Max like a good little D2. Instead, George decides to shoot his shot and asks if he can switch to softs or not. The team's like, sure, George, come on in. Let's get fucking over Lewis a spin. So George switches to soft because he has a lot of pluck, and Lewis is like, uh, what the fuck? So at the restart with no George in the way, Max does what he does best and passes Lewis with no delay. Then George passes Lewis into P2, and then Charles and his Ferrari passes him too. So now Lewis is rightfully pissed off, but it's not George's fault. He backed himself and it paid off. Also not at fault, Max, Red Bull, and poor little Yuki. If Lewis wants to feel better, just look at Carlos, whose day is far more gloomy. It would take too long to list every single thing that went wrong, but Ferrari literally forgot a tire. That should be enough to make anyone facepalm. So yay, Max Verstappen brings it home and wins the Dutch Grand Prix. Next week is Italy. Let's pray for father, son, and house of Ferrari. All right, on to analysis. Okay, so just to give you a little background on the atmosphere, there was a lot of singing. The Orange Army was out in full force from, like, Tuesday. Um, There were a lot of flares and a lot of pigeons. In fact, um, a fan threw an orange flare onto the track in the middle of qualifying, and they had to red flag the session. And um, after that, they took a very stern stance against flares during any race at all they had to wait until after everything was over because why the hell would you throw a flare onto the road (laughs) it's so dangerous you can't see it's like it's just so bad um anyway so during qualifying uh max took pole but uh charles gave him a like real run for his money finished like two tenths of a second behind Max. So this was following Max's Friday where he had crashed out in FP1, which was already not the best start to the weekend. And now he like barely skated by uh, qualifying, which sort of, I think, set the tone for, for the race day because yes, Max dominated. Well, no, Max won, but I wouldn't say Max dominated in the same way that he's been dominating the last few races. He had to work for it, which is always much more fun to see. Um, And also notably in the last like five seconds of uh, Q3, Checo spun and a yellow flag zone out, which put an end to qualifying. So um, no one else was able to finish their flying lap. Um, Also, when Max was presented his Pirelli Pole Award, um, he was it was given to him by Dutch kickboxer Rico Verhoeven, who (laughs) is so large. He literally lifted Max into the air with one hand, um, which is an extremely comical image. If you haven't seen it, look it up. It is highly amusing. Max looks like a child. This goes back to, like, last week when we were talking about Mick and Seb uh, playing the football game, the charity football game, with Dirk, the German basketball player, and looking like complete babies next to him. This is just another example of how F1 drivers look petite next to other, next to other athletes. So the final lineup uh, for the top 10 was Max, Charles, Carlos, Lewis, Checo, George, Lando, Mick, Yuki, and Lance. Top seven, classic. Um, but the bottom three, Mick, Yuki, and Lance, that's fun to see. 
love seeing them like pop into the into key three every once in a while by the way lance had a technical issue so he actually wasn't able to put in a flying lap which is why he's last although he probably would have been there anyway <laughs> all right moving on to the race Honestly, this race was kind of exciting from beginning to end, not necessarily because there was always something happening, even though a lot did happen, but mostly because it was kind of unclear how it would end. We had a VSC and a safety car, both of which really seemed to change the course of this race, but even before they happened, it was unclear where we'd end up. All that was clear was that Mercedes was suddenly a super strong contender to win their first race of the season, and they came so close to doing it. Um, so anyway, let's tackle this the way we've done the last few races by highlighting key moments and then zooming in on specific teams and their performances, dynamics, and strategies. All right, so the start of the race, the start basically saw some really great starts and some not so great starts. <laughs> um, as per usual, Max had an incredible start and just sped ahead. Charles was close on his tail, though obviously not like close, close, but closer to him than to everyone else. Uh, behind them, though, Lewis and Carlos touched. The commentators characterized it as more of a brush than a bang, uh, which is what it was. Carlos kept third, but after the race, Matias seemed to imply that some of Carlos's struggles today were partly due to this incident, which seems unlikely. But who knows? Um, Lando had a great start and zoomed ahead of George into six, like overtook him immediately. Um, a little later on from the start, uh, Fernando had made his way into P12 by overtaking Pierre and p pitted for hards. Um, this was a risky move because hards were not like predicted for today's race. It was not deemed a hard tire race. But this moment was super pivotal because Fernando basically became the guinea pig for the hard tires, and he actually had so much success with them that everyone started popping on the hards. Um, also, one more thing to note about this track, in addition to it randomly being good for hard tires, is that it is notoriously hard to overtake. Um, they made some adjustments this year, and also many hoped that with those adjustment, with those adjustments and the new generation of of cars, which again they tell us every week, are so good at overtaking. Um, people thought it'd be a lot easier to do this time around, but it actually wasn't. Turn one was the best place to overtake and generally the only place to do it. Other overtakes happened and they were all, they were cool, but like in terms of actual ease of execution, turn one was the place to overtake. Um, also, in order to actually overtake on this track, you have to be one and a half seconds quicker, like on average, to successfully overtake another car. Okay, so before I actually dive into each individual team, I think we should touch a bit upon uh, the race between Mercedes and Red Bull, which, by the way, feels like such a throwback to say, <laughs> since we haven't really said that since Abu Dhabi in 2021, but it's true. Mercedes was actually challenging Red Bull today more so than any other team. Um, and really the nail biters of this race were between Lewis, George, and Max. Um, Checo was mostly uninvolved, but he did have a really, su really super moment um, where he defended against Lewis for a short while before Lewis was finally able to overtake. Definitely gave flashbacks to last year when... Checo was an animal. But otherwise, it seemed like Red Bull was just barely able to get the best of Mercedes. Several times, it seemed that Max would be forced to chase down Lewis in order to win. 
Um, because Mercedes really kind of did seem equal in pace today. Don't know why. I don't think they know why. Um, but it also wasn't just like on track. Um, they really had to adjust in real time pit stops and off track strategies. Like, did they follow each other into the pits? Would they come out ahead or behind if they pitted? And it was kind of fun seeing Red Bull have to think more on their toes this week rather than trying to like just let Max drive. <laughs> um, all right. Let's talk about Yuki, aka the most bizarre incident today. So, Around lap 44, Yuki, after a pit stop, pulled over to the side of the road and said that his tires weren't fitted properly. And then his team responds, um, yeah, the tires are fitted properly, actually. You should keep going. And Yuki was like, okay. <laughs> so he keeps going, which is weird because shouldn't you listen? I mean, I feel like he knows if his tires feel weird. Something feels weird to him. So maybe his team should have listened. Anyway, a couple laps later, he comes in for a bonkers pit stop. They change the tires very quickly. And then they start like, <laughs> this is going to sound weird. They start fiddling around in his cockpit. Um, the assumption became that they were trying to fix his seatbelt because he had pulled over to the side of the road. And I guess he thought he might be retiring. So he loosened his seatbelt. So they had to fix his seatbelt. But it took a really long time for them, like, whatever they were doing in there, like, fiddling around and, like, tightening, I guess, it was a while. Um, but as soon as Yuki gets back on the track, he says something is still still wrong. Later, he says something about differentials. I don't know if we ever got, like, a clear-cut answer on what went wrong, but Yuki is told to pull over, like, as soon as he exits the pit, uh, the pit lane and he retires. So this unleashes a virtual safety car. Lots of pit stops ensue. Again, repeat, lots of pit stops ensue, including Max, who comes in for cards. And after Max pits, Mercedes stacks Lewis and George pit stops. The thinking here is, like, trying to figure out what Mercedes' strategy was, is that since Max pits, he'll be ahead regardless, so at least they'll be able to fight him on fresher tires. They didn't confirm that, but that's just the assumption that was going around. So by lap 50, the virtual safety car ends and Lewis gets on the radio to say that BSC has stuffed us. And so obviously Twitter went crazy after this. The conspiracy theory du jour <laughs> is that since AlphaTauri is Red Bull's sister team, Red Bull had them orchestrate this situation with Yuki to give Max the upper hand. Okay, so, like, I know Christian is a mischievous fella, and I know Helmut Marco is a walking Marvel villain, shady AF, but Max is leading the championship by 96 points ahead of his own teammate, and this was before the end of the Grand Prix. What possible reason would Red Bull have to cheat so aggressively, and in a way that could probably be easily proven, when they don't really have a reason you know i agree that this situation with yuki is super weird it was a bizarre pit stop but weird shit happens all the time also earlier this year we saw alfatari duct tape a car they are an italian motorsport team and we've all seen that even when you put together all the brilliant minds of italy onto a motorsports team 
they achieve some weird things. <laughs> cough, cough, Ferrari. <laughs> like, um, we've seen weirder shit from Italian motorsport teams. So surely the more reasonable explanation is that this was just a weird incident. This is in 2021 Abu Dhabi. The stakes aren't nearly as high. There are like hardly any stakes at all. And if we're honest, the next incident is like what truly ended up screwing loose over, not this. Um, also, Christian is usually much more obvious <laughs> about his meddling. Like he's not a subtle meddler. And this is just like a weird roundabout way to go about it. Um, so as much as I, I know we can't hear the radio. Maybe if we could hear the radio between him and the race director, it would be different, but we can't. And truly, this doesn't, this feels pretty, this doesn't really feel like Christian to me. From all the meddling I've seen him do, this feels different. Um, so like, as much as I love a conspiracy theory, as much as I love some pot stirring, I'm going to have to disagree with this one. I think it was just a weird incident and hashtag leave Yuki alone. <laughs> Um, so the real incident that I, in my opinion, was actually the catalyst for Lewis's loss, potential loss, because that would be assuming that he was for sure going to win. But what I think actually, like, kickstarted all that was the safety car that uh, was deployed for Valtteri Bottas's retirement. Basically, Valtteri Bottas' engine died and he DNF'd his Ferrari engine, by the way. <laughs> I've also never seen a slower deployment of a safety car ever. It was like a solid minute before the stew was like, oh yeah. Anyway, a lot of things ended up happening because of the safety car, which sort of influenced the way the final 10 laps would proceed. First, Carlos was mid-battle with Ocon and overtook him in sight of the yellow flags. Whether this is legal became a point of contention. It seems that he was just ahead of Ocon as the yellow flags began to wave. And technically, the rules state that you cannot overtake once you pass the yellow flags rather than see them. However, some people are arguing that it's not necessarily legal because the incident is within their sight when he starts overtaking. So he shouldn't have overtaken him to begin with. Um, but Stu clearly saw no issue with it, so it was deemed legal. Um, anyway, then everyone started to pit again. Max came in for softs, which at first was questioned because it seemed like hards were the proven, like, the tire of the weekend, but, uh, Red Bull didn't really like them, I guess, and also there were almost 10 laps left, so obviously he's gonna switch to softs to try to get the fastest laps, um, for the end of the race. So when Max comes out of the pit lane, he is P3 with Lewis and George ahead of him. Then the safety car takes the drivers to the pit lane, which also became kind of chaotic because some pitted while others kept driving. Um, during this time, Carlos pitted. And um, then he's given a five-second penalty for an unsafe release because he came out right in front of Fernando's Alpine. It actually almost seemed like they touched. It was that close. Um, it seems that Mercedes, though, had no intention of pitting. But upon the entrance of the pit lane, George requests his team to let him pit for soft tires. Keyword, requests. Um... And the team let him, but we will discuss our percussions and rewards of this later. But needless to say, Lewis gets on the radio and says it's going to be 
hard to keep the car behind me now, guys. So in the final 10 laps, it turns out Lewis was obviously right. At the restart, Max did what Max does best and started hard. <laughs> Some people questioned the restart because it really seemed to like dance on the line, pun intended. <laughs> Basically, you can't overtake until you pass the racing line on a restart. Um, and there's like a whole diagram apparently in the rule book that shows how the cars are allowed to be lined up what once they cross the uh, line. It seemed like Max started to overtake before they crossed the line or like as they're crossing the line. The caveat here is that the diagram doesn't apply if the safety car has already entered the pit lane, which in this case it had. But even if it hadn't, it seemed that it actually wasn't illegal at all. It was just an exceptionally well-timed restart because I think he started to pass Lewis as they crossed the line, which is legal. So this gives Max a toe and he flies by Lewis and then things just went bad from bad to worse for Lewis. George on his fancy new soft tire starts closing in on him and there was debate before whether there would be team orders one way or the other or whether they just let them race. They basically just let them race and it wasn't for long because George overtook Lewis pretty easily. Though at one point it seemed like he was about to rear end Lewis and it was kind of unclear whether it was like a Lewis defense thing or whether it was a George error thing. Um, later in the press conference, George said that they like to keep things close on track, which kind of makes me believe it was a Lewis defense thing, but not sure. Um, so George overtakes Lewis into second, and then Charles overtakes Lewis for fourth, which is where Lewis finished. Um, obviously very frustrating when it felt like the win was in your sight. But let's talk about Mercedes strategy overall today. They did so good today like they were insane they became even though they've been like up there for the last few races today it felt like they became true contenders for the constructor championship they were they were fighting with ferrari and mercedes and red bull all day even christian after was like this is clearly a three-way race now obviously they're not competing for the driver's championship but for the constructors for sure they're they're possible contenders the thing that today seemed to highlight for me is that Mercedes hasn't have to, had to make off-the-cuff strategy, uh, strategy calls in a while. Like, they sort of stuck to their guns from the morning and didn't really um, adjust based on what was happening on track. Um, this situation with, uh, after the, re after the, after the safety car with all the pit stops is that they basically decided that both would stay out and George would defend for Lewis, which is the kind of obvious strategy of they're going for the win. But when Max pitted for new tires, it became a little less likely that that would happen because uh, Lewis was on older tires. And while George could probably hold off Max, there's no... It seemed unlikely that he would be able to hold him off until the end of the race because Max is faster and on pressure tires. Um... So it seemed like it was likely that Lou, that Max would end up overtaking them both. And then there was also Charles, who obviously was not, like, hot shit today, but he also was doing pretty well. So it's not like he was not a possible obstacle in getting one and two. So they had to kind of caveat, and that's where George came in. George came up with... Um, an in-the-moment strategy where he wanted to pit for soft so that he could be as fast as possible to keep up with Max. And this was the correct call. This was a good call, not just for him, but also kind of for the team, because really, they were looking at third and fourth, not first and second. 
and everyone and everyone who's like complaining about George, like PR sixty three, he was a company man. He was like he was trying so his like head was so far up Lewis and Toto's butt, and now he's fucked them both. Not really. Like he was a driver. He was competitive. He was looking out for his own interests, but it also wasn't in the interests of the team. Um, however, that doesn't really take away the sting or the frustration from Lewis, who also, this wasn't really communicated to him. He was just like, wait, George pitted? <laughs> um, so he didn't know what was going on. He felt kind of left out in the lurch, which he kind of was. Um, and he, and it kind of also felt like, especially with that restart where, where Max overtook him so quickly, it was very like eerily reminiscent of Abu Dhabi last year, where like the win was just taken away from him and like with the finish line in sight. And understandably, he was really, really angry. He kept swearing at the team on the radio, most notably saying, I can't believe you guys fucked me, man. I cannot tell you how pissed I am. After the race, he got back on the radio and specifically thanked the mechanics only for executing exceptional pit stops. Conveniently avoided every single other person. Dude was pissed, basically. Um, however, later post-race, when he had calmed down, he said he wanted to apologize to the team, but he doesn't want to apologize for his passion. Where was this leeway from Fernando last week? Fernando was passionate. Just kidding. But um, I totally understand why Lewis is pissed because it really felt like the win was in his grasp. And then it wasn't. And he claimed blamed the team, which really he should have blamed the team because it was the team who allowed George to make that call. It was the team who decided that was the best route to go to. And it was the team who didn't actually really inform Lewis that the plan had changed. Do they not have plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G? You know? Um... After the race, Toto defended Lewis's radios, which I think is fair. But Toto also gave a lot of sass towards AlphaTauri and like really fed into the conspiracy theories. Um, he kept saying stuff like it would be different if someone didn't take the AlphaTauri on a little jolly. Um, and just like he pushed into it so much, it almost felt like he was really keen to... to repeat that theory because the truth is that they favored George over Lewis today. And even when he was asked like what the win was, the overall win for today was, and if it was George finishing his best ever, instead of saying, yeah, I'm really happy that George finished so high up and it was his best performance. Instead, Toto said, the win today is the performance we showed. Which yes, they showed great strides in their overall performance, but you could also shout out George. Um, but he didn't, and I do think it's because the truth of the matter is that assuming we take Max out of the equation, which is a big thing to do, and only focus on the Mercedes, the reason the podium escaped loose today is really because of George and the team siding with George. But of course, this is if we take Max out of the equation, and Max wasn't out of the equation, and Max was going to take the win regardless, in my opinion. So... What happened with George? Basically, there seems to be, people are interpreting the situation differently depending on how much they like or hate George or how much they love Lewis. Um, and to me, it seemed like George asked why everyone else was changing to softs and they weren't. And he asked a couple of times because the team wasn't giving him a direct answer. And so when the safety car pulled in through the pit lane and he was about to enter, he's like, can we please switch to softs? And the team said yes. I, it almost felt like he was like, 
it was taking a gamble. I think he kind of felt like they'd say no, but they said yes, and they let him switch to softs. Other people interpret the situation with George demanding to be switched to softs and the team saying no, 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 and then he pulled into the into the uh, into box anyway. I don't think that's what happened. But with George switching to softs, George was no longer in between Max and Lewis. Um, and it basically left Lewis defenseless on older tires because Lewis wasn't pulled in to pit and change tires. So George was put on softs and George obviously dominated. A lot self George, selfish George Russell was trending on Twitter forever last night. Because, yeah, George put himself before the team, but that's assuming that the team puts Lewis first at all times. And that's also assuming that the team was 100% going to win. I still don't think the team had the win in their grasp. And I think George actually scored the, mo the most number of points the team was going to be able to win that day. Um, and George was allowed to put himself before the team and before Lewis. And that's where things went wrong for Lewis. I saw a lot of people being like, Lewis isn't allowed to be as selfish as George. George can be selfish. Everyone's like, yeah, go George. But when Lewis is selfish, everyone's like, oh, he's so full of himself. I don't think that's necessarily true. But I do think that for years now, the team and Lewis have been synonymous. Because for seven years, Lewis was winning world championships and dominating. And therefore, Lewis's needs and Lewis's success what was the team's needs and the team's success. And it's why Bottas was getting screwed over year after year. But this year is different. This year, Lewis is not a contender for the world championship. This race specifically put like sort of solidified them as contenders for the driver's championship, which means points for the team become the becomes the priority. And that means prioritizing whichever driver is able to deliver that that day. The issue, of course, is communicating that with everyone else. And like, if one driver thinks they're about to win and then they change the strategy because maybe they're not going to win, but don't tell him, that's really annoying and really rude. <laughs> um, but I also think that Mercedes themselves had issues pivoting from their intentions earlier that day. Like they kept saying this morning, we decided we're going for the win and we're going for the win no matter what. And I'd rather go for the win and miss than finish P2 and P3. Okay. <laughs> um, but that's why they couldn't pit Lewis. But, but that was why they defended pitting George and not Lewis. Or why they said they couldn't, why they didn't. But that's why they said they didn't pit Lewis and George. And why they couldn't pit Lewis but not George. They basically were saying this was the only alternative, but again, it wasn't communicated. It was very Ferrari-esque, you know? And really, the it was best said by Nico Rosberg, who, by the way, earlier in the race said he was rooting hard for Lewis, so I don't know what planet we're on, but um, he made a great point in that if they were actually going for Lewis to win or potentially win they would have to keep both cars out there's no way George pitting and Lewis not pitting is the recipe for Lewis getting first you know the only way they would be able to to fight for first is if they kept both cars out so George could defend Lewis but in my opinion that would have only delayed the inevitable but it would have I guess given Lewis a fighting chance um I do think that uh pitting George putting him on softs uh, was the best alternative they had because I think that's the most points they would have been able to score. They would have for sure finished three and four otherwise. Um, 
But I just want to say that it's okay to put George first in the same way it's okay to put Lewis first like but just own up to it instead of trying to come up with weird excuses as to why somehow it was George that got the upper hand in terms of strategy rather than Lewis it's okay to prioritize one over the other but also communicate it to both drivers all right let's move on to Ferrari so Charles actually had an okay race today the car wasn't great for him, but Ferrari actually managed to avoid any egregious errors. And I know just last week, um, I said that Charles suffers more at the hands of Ferrari's incompetence. And I guess they heard me because Ferrari was like, oh, hold my beer, because Carlos's day was just insanity. So first there was the slow stop. It was 12 and a half seconds. Um, it basically, they, <laughs> basically Ferrari forgot a tire. They forgot a tire and so they had to look for this tire and as they were looking for this tire, um, they um, threw like a pick, they threw the, the tire gun to the side and Checo ran over it and it was just a hot mess all around. Um, they were both called in to talk to Stu about, um, about this pit stop, but it actually wasn't clear. I actually don't know what they decided. I couldn't find it, but the reason they were both called in is it actually could go either way. Um, the, the tire gun was actually within the working area, not in the pit lane. So it could be ruled that Checo drove into the working area and that was dangerous. And so he could be penalized or it could be argued that Ferrari was negligent and left the pit, uh, the, the tire gun out and they could be fined. Um, but regardless, the thing to take away from this <laughs> is that they didn't have the left rear tire ready for Carlos. They forgot there are four cars on a tire. I don't know. They were just very underprepared. <sighs> the second issue for Carlos, this is actually, I can't really blame Ferrari for this as much as I'd like to, but the yellow flag, it, the rule is that you, when you pass the yellow flag, you can't overtake. Carlos started his overtake before they reached the yellow flag and it seemed like before it even started waving but you could see the incident so there was argument as to whether that was legal but Stu decided it wasn't a uh, issue and then the third thing that happened was the unsafe release um during the bodice safety car so the unsafe release that happened was that uh ferrari Ferrari did a pit stop for Carlos and then released him and he came out right in front of Fernando Alonso, like to the point where it literally looked like they made contact. Um, and he got a five second penalty for this. But Carlos was like very adamant that he shouldn't get a safety uh, penalty for this because he was trying to avoid a Merce uh, McLaren mechanic that was in his way. So he was trying not to hit him and it was actually a... <laughs> A safe release, I guess. Um, this argument didn't stand. Um, he was given a five-second penalty. Um, and it was kind of nice of Carlos to try to take one for the team. Be like, well, I was actually trying to protect the McLaren mechanic. It wasn't my team's fault for releasing me too early. Um, but still, that was really, really dangerous. That was Carlos's day. And he ended up, while he started P3. Um, and... He was looking to finish P4, and um, he ended up finishing P8. <laughs> uh, and the best way, I mean, Mattia and Carlos really summed up Carlos's day in a nutshell, and that was just a mess, best way to describe it. Um, and I'm really starting to think that there's a birthday curse. Like, if it's your birthday weekend, don't race, because you're going to get fucked. Last week, Valtteri DNF'd and couldn't race on his birthday, 
Carlos had his birthday on Thursday, and look what happened to him. Um, to be fair, Valtteri also DNF'd, <laughs> DNF'd this week. Um, but uh, I'm starting to think there's something unlucky about birthdays. There were also many penalties besides the one that Carlos received. Um, Guan Yu got a five-second penalty for speeding in the pit lane. Seb got a five-second penalty for ignoring blue flags and one penalty one penalty point off of his super license, which I'm sure will really hurt him as he's retiring. Um, Yuki was also called in to see the stews, but I don't know what the result of that was. Um, they were investigating whether there was something suspicious with that whole... Um, my tires are loose. No, they're not. Let's fiddle in your cockpit. Go back out. Oh, your race is over. <laughs> um, I don't know what the... I, I can't possibly see how they could uh, find any malice in all of that. But maybe they will. I don't know if there's been a ruling on that yet. Um, Checo and Carlos were called in to discuss the 12 and a half second pit stop when Checo ran over the pit gun. I don't think there was a ruling on that yet either. And then Carlos also wanted to refute his penalty, as I said, but I don't, that was ineffective. Okay, so now the race is over um, and the podium setup in Zandvoort is kind of weird. First of all, there are no tables or anything to put down your helmet. So they all kind of had to dump their shit on the floor and they're all just like sitting on the ground. Second of all, for some reason, there seems to be like only one door for everyone. So like at first I thought it was kind of weird because there were a lot more congratulations than normal. And it was also like random pairings. Like why is Fernando congratulating George? But then I realized that every single driver had to file by the top three to leave the track, which is kind of weird and also kind of frustrating if you're like Lewis, although I didn't see him walk by, but that would have been Ako Taco. <laughs> um, I did enjoy the cool down room. Nothing crazy happened. One of the commentators who's a former driver was like, by the time you get to the cool down room, you've cooled down and you're keenly aware there are cameras. So there's no like hot mic moments or like catching them off guard, which, you know, I live for. But um, I still like watching them just chat with each other. And it was it was fun to see them watch the highlights because although nothing like crazy, crazy happened, there were so many little moments and you could just hear them going, ooh, 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 like the whole time. All three of them were just watching. It was good. Um, also, I would like to note my deep disappointment that I couldn't hear all of the grandstands singing along to the national anthem. I was really hoping we'd get like a Ferrari moment, like a great big chorus of national pride. But um, I guess the Dutch just expressed their patriotism through orange flares exclusively. <laughs> also, I would like to note that I thought it was hilarious at the speed of which they um, reconfigured the podium. So... <laughs> the, the drivers had barely stepped off and they were already removing the stands and replacing it with like a DJ table, um, <laughs> which feels very Dutch. Like the Orange Army is there for Max, sure, but really the Dutch are there to party with Afrojack. <laughs> like they, they love their DJs there. All right, so the final results was uh, Max in P1, followed by George, Charles, Lewis, Checo, Fernando, Lando, Carlos, Esteban, and Lance. 
Um, the driver of the day, official driver of the day is Max. And again, no one can really argue there. But my runner up is George Russell, because not only did he give us his usual Mr. Consistent performance, he also did some great in the moment strategy, he stood up for himself, and he gave the team a result that I think was the best option they could get today. So way to shoot your shot, George. Like, not mad about it. I know a lot of other people are, but I do think you did very well today. Um, dig in the box box. I think a lot of people will want me to say AlphaTauri slash Red Bull, even though I don't actually think they were conspiring anything. Other people will say George because he's a selfish twat. I don't think that's it either. The Mercedes per team perhaps for not um, communicating the change in strategy to Lewis. I think that was a very Ferrari move of them and they're above that. And I think they could have done that better. Um, but really, I think I just need to say Carlos's entire day is the dick in the box box. Like Ferrari's pit crew, the pit wall, and just like luck in general wasn't on the dude's side. And that's like a dicky thing that fate threw his way. <laughs> is my dick in the box box fate? <laughs> um, anyway, the standings are uh, Max with 310 points. <laughs> Charles with 201 points, Checo with 201 points, George with 188 points, Carlos with 175 points, and Lewis with 158. And then it's Lando, but he's way below 100. Um, and also, both Charles and Checo have 201 points, but because Charles has won more races this year, he is listed above uh, Checo in the standings. The Constructors' standings are currently Red Bull Racing with 511 points, Ferrari with 376 points, Mercedes with 346 points, Alpine with 125, and McLaren with 101. So currently Alpine is pretty much ahead for fourth, um, unless McLaren has like a miracle happen. Um, as for Ferrari and Mercedes, they are like 30 points apart. Exactly, which means for sure Mercedes is in the running for second place. Uh, um, if Ferrari doesn't get their shit together and if Mercedes continues to have their shit together, we're in for a fun end of the season, I think. Well, that's it for the Dutch Grand Prix. Next up is Monza, which I'm sure Ferrari will deliver on. Um, I am traveling next Sunday and Monday, so the episode will be coming out on Tuesday, but I should be watching live and doing some live commentary, so follow along if you are also watching live. And I do plan on eating a lot of pasta over the next week in preparation, and I hope you will join me. So please send me all the pasta pics. Um, see y'all soon. Fox Fox.